I never realized that it was a thing. I never realized that people were not dedicated enough to do that. I thought it was a natural thing. If you want to get better, then you will just keep practicing. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. Hi, it's Angela here, and I'm really, really thrilled to share this week's podcast episode with you. It's more of a fireside chat, really, between myself and Roger Snipes, who is a top British bodybuilder, fitness model, fitness competitor, and personal trainer. And he's also very much into biohacking and all things related to health optimization like myself. And in this interview, we share some of our top hacks and tips We talk about mindset. We talk about the people and mentors that have inspired both of us along the way, including really impactful books that we've read and people that we've worked with. And we also um, dive into some top health optimization hacks as well. It's very relaxed, very informal. I think that you're going to really enjoy it. So I can't wait to hear your feedback. And I also think you're going to really learn a lot from Roger's mindset. It's extremely powerful and his journey from being a child and being inspired initially um, with sprinting and then moving on to bodybuilding and how he cultivated that strong mindset is extremely inspiring and a really, really interesting story. So I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Roger Snipes. So how are you doing, Angela? I'm great, Roger. Thanks. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Past couple of days, I've just been firing off super early in the morning. I think uh, my first day this week, I was up at quarter to four because um, I fell asleep super early the day before. So, um, yeah, started the day really good. Cycling at like quarter past four in the morning. Um, wow. I think the weather was 12 degrees, which I love it when it's really cool. You know, that gets your mind like really fresh and ready to tackle the day. So, so it must have it. been dark now at like quarter, four o'clock in the morning now is dark, isn't it? A few months yeah. back, it would have been light. So we, you went out riding in the dark, did you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, but wow. there's lots of uh, cycle paths, so it's okay. Cycle paths okay. with like, you know, the, uh, lots of lights on the street. So it was good. Not that many cars. It's beautiful. Oh, that is That's beautiful. Just there's my own magic. Don't you find there's something magical about being up before everybody else is? You know, absolutely. And that is one of the reasons why I love wintertime. You know, there's so many people, they suffer from the whole winter blues thing. Um, but for me, um, I think that's when I come alive. You know, because really? I, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I, mm, I, I wake up early and I love that cold feeling on my skin. I'm like, yeah, great. Because Maybe it's because most people don't like it. And I know that if I'm up, when it's dark, a lot of people don't like it. So it's like a lot of the traffic is out of the way. You know, mm. I, can, I can get going and I know there's not going to be congestion of everybody trying to go for it at the same time. It's like the road is clear. I can just, yeah. And that's the way it's been for, for years when I really think about it. I don't Did know whether you get, it's... Um, to watch the sunrise? Did you stay out long enough to see the sunrise? 
No, I don't think so. No, okay. no. I got back, I think just before six. So I don't know when the sunrise was, to be honest. Um, it's probably about <laughs> half six, isn't it, right now when we're recording? Do you know, it's funny because you talk about like sad and, and people not liking the winter months. And last year, because my, my son in particular, he really hated it, he, or he used to. And so last year I said to him, and it worked really well, it ended up being quite magical. I said, look, let's approach it differently this November when the clocks change, you know, at the end of October. And I was like, just think this time, because it gets dark so early, this is the one time of year that we can guarantee we can watch the sunset every single day, whereas sometimes you're in bed. And so we did watch the sunset every day on the way home from school. And some of them were magical and he was taking photos. It was such a different experience. So I plan to do it again this year. It's kind of just switching that way of thinking, isn't it? And going, actually, there's still cool stuff about this. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that whole idea. Just one simple thing, just changing it the other way around. Like half, was it cup half full, cup half empty? Mm. You know, exactly the same look when you look at it. But when you talk of it, everybody's perspective is is slightly different. I remember first time when I was <clears throat> on the stage, at the bodybuilding stage, I was pretty scared. But um, after some experience, um, I then started to build up a different picture when I was on the stage. Rather than everybody staring at me on the stage and me being frightened about it, <clears throat> I saw it as I was the, like the celebrity and everybody was coming to see me. Like I was really important and finally I am here for them. So once I started to see it that way, I had so much more fun on the stage. So yeah, so it's all, it's the same thing, but just different perspectives. So. Switching it. You know, um, Kelly McGonigal's got an amazing TED talk on that, about how you switch stress. And I think they did, she talks about some research that they did. So people were going up on stage to give a talk and they put them into two groups. So some, one group of people, they basically said, try and control your breathing and calm yourself down and say, you know, I'm relaxed. I'm not nervous about this. It's all going to be fine. And then with the other group of people, um, they, she basically taught them that the same emotions that you get, the same systems within the body are stimulated, whether it's fear or excitement. So now turn that, that fear just into excitement because you've got excitement anyway, right? You're about to go up on the stage. And when they looked at the way those talks were received, the group that got excited and embraced that concept of fear and the butterflies in their tummy as excitement, the talks went so much better and the audience loved them compared to the group that were actually trying to go against the grain and just say, I'm okay, I can control this, I've, I've got control of my nerves. Really interesting, just and how that impacted the other people that were there. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. You know, mm. I've watched a few TED Talks and I've seen people who are perceived in this world as someone very big, but some of them, the moment they're on the stage, it can be pretty daunting. And it's like, I can hear, you know, their, their mouth drying up. And I always question, you know, these people are like super confident, but somehow when they go on the stage, it's, it's different. And, you know, it's really interesting you say that because all the times I went on the stage, I, um, I still had that nervousness. My heart was still beating. You know, and I was always thinking, all right, you know, as you said, with the breathing, controlling it, I was like, my bar, my, sorry, my, the, my heart was still beating super quick. It was like, is this going to slow down? Please slow down. Yeah. And it never did. 
But, um, you know, I just proceeded to do what I needed to do on the stage. And I, th I think as, as I was there, it, it slowed down when it was finishing. <laughs> I think it does get to the point. I think it's the, the moment before you get on there. I think that's the most frightening part. It's just like, you know, mm -hmm. before jumping off a plane or something like that, the anticipation of, of doing it. I remember Will Smith talking about it, how when he was actually in the air flying or the moment before jumping was the worst part of it. The moment he jumped, it's like you can just relax and everything is bliss, basically. It's that and I moment think, of calm. Yeah. But then I suppose with bodybuilding as well, right, everything has led up to that one moment. And there's no question of people not judging you, right? You're there to be judged. It's a competition. So, I mean, that's tough, isn't it? Yeah. Because you, you are being judged. That's exactly what's happening. Is And it's kind of like, did I, have I put in the effort? Because now in this one moment, this is when it all counts. Yeah, it's interesting. Lots of people say bodybuilding is, is a lonely sport. It's not like tennis where it's like, you know, you're playing against the other um, or football, like you have a team kind of thing. It's like you get, your, get yourself ready and you go on the stage for people to judge you individually. So you're, you're just focusing on yourself. You're not focusing as being part of a team. So it, it can be quite worrying, especially when you're backstage and you see so many other amazing physiques. It's like before that time, you would just be focusing on yourself. But now we have this beautiful thing called social media where you could see <laughs> all these other people getting prepared and they're showing you little glimpse of how their progress is coming along so that that can actually bring on, on more anxiety if you're not careful. But um, I think it's really important. I remember prepping people for shows saying, you're going to have to get away from social media. Like you're going to have mm. to avoid watching other people and what they're doing because you're going to build up stories in your head, which is not really there. And the main focus is to see yourself on the stage, um, just being graceful and just seeing yourself as, uh, I don't know, just a beautiful being or something. Just you have to have amazing thoughts you can't be worried about other people or worried what the judges will think it's like you have to see yourself as an incredible person and then it will shine on the stage i had a lot of people that said to me wow you look so effortless on the stage like you, you look incredible and it's such a beautiful thing to hear but it's it's because i'm lost in my own world i see myself as the best you know um even if I saw people that looked amazing there, um, I could only focus on myself. So yeah. It sounds like you're almost like in flow state then. You're like completely connected with yourself and that vision of yourself, right? So then that's, as you say, shining through and emanating. Yeah, yeah. I remember even uh, prepping for the stage, I used to do a lot of visualization. So I'd be using a sauna, uh, unlike the infrared sauna that you got in the back by Clearlight. Um, I used, you know, a normal dry sauna and I would sit there as my meditation moment to see myself on the stage. Because when you look in the mirror, when you're practicing and you're looking at your poses in the mirror, you can see exactly how your body is moving. But when you're on the stage, the mirror is not there anymore and you've just got a crowd of people. So I used to visualize myself looking directly in the crowd and not feeling worried about it, but more smiling and enjoying myself 
again, um, you know, being that, that superstar and everybody coming to see me. So that's, that's the way I saw it. And the moment you can connect, connect with that visualization that you've had and bring it to the stage, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it becomes a, a flow situation. Mm. So you kind of rehearsed it, haven't you? Like, like athletes do in general, right? Is you've mentally rehearsed what you're about to do before you get out there on the stage. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, listening to an audio book by Brian Tracy and he was talking about um, athletes like basketball athletes and how some of them were separated in different types of uh, training one part they didn't train at all and there was another which uh trained like physically a few times uh, a day a few hours a day and then there was another uh, another section of the team that just visualized and it turned out the the people that didn't train they deteriorated by two percent and the ones that practiced they went up by like two percent but those that just visualized they actually went up by like three and a half percent or something and i thought wow that's powerful isn't yeah. it yeah really powerful it is i think it's amazing uh, i love brian tracy by the way he to me is just the the godfather of self-development oh my gosh yes i feel like loads of people need to know about him i do you know there's there's a lot of the new age people which you know uh, i don't know maybe if it's the the millennial types or whatever but people know a lot more of uh i don't know people like uh I don't know how long Gary Vaynerchuk has been about, but obviously this guy is super incredible at what he does. Um, and, well, he's not exactly in directly self-development. He's more like a business kind of developer and all-round superhero on social media, really. But Brian Tracy, he, I would say he kind of helped me out of the gutter when I was around 15 years old, when I discovered uh, audio tapes you know, cassette tapes before DVDs and before like all this audio stuff that we have now uh, or streaming that we have now and, and uh, internet that we have now. Um, I listened to Brian Tracy. That, that was like my first experience of um, uh, self-development. Yeah, he's in, he's in special. I, when we started lockdown, I gave his book. It's a really short book. And I think it's like the 21 Habits or something of highly successful or millionaires or something. And I gave it to my 11-year-old. And I said to him, I want you to read that book and, and make notes and come and tell me. And he read it. It was amazing. He read it and he was coming back to me and he was like, you know that to be successful, you have to do this. It was amazing experience. Because I read, um, have you come across um, Carrie Green, who runs the Female Entrepreneur association and she talks about the books that inspired her and how her father gave her these books as, t as a teenager and she was given like the seven habits of highly successful people by Stephen Covey and well these things a bit like you were saying at, at 15 mm. I never had that and I and I look back and I think wow what a difference that would have made if I'd had an insight into personal development as a teenager because yeah. you're trying to navigate that way aren't you and it's um it's difficult in a way to find the path, but you, when we were chatting yeah. last week, your story that you were telling me growing up, I just found so inspirational and how you came to this. And I just want to ask you a few questions about it, if it's all right, because I yes, think sure. people would really benefit. So you were explaining to me how, um, how when you were growing up, you started sprinting and you were doing kind of 100 meters, 200 meters, and then you started watching 
um, sprinters on TV and kind of pausing it back or when they do the retakes and looking at the muscular development of these people and how they moved. And it just sounds like you're obviously massively inspired by the human body at, at a really young age. And then how you were getting into weight training and your dad was buying you some weights and the discipline that you had so early on in terms of making your father breakfast and then going and doing however many press-ups before school. Like this is unusual for most teenagers and obviously set, set the platform, it set the stage, right, for what was to come later. But can you share a bit more of that? I just think it's such an inspiring story because to get to where you are and compete at that level requires so much discipline. Yeah, yeah. I guess it was, um, it wasn't something that I uh, foresaw in the future or foreseen. I don't know what the term is, but I didn't foresee even competing. I, it was something that I just wanted to do for myself. Um, after seeing these athletes on the stage, oh, sorry, not on the stage, um, on track and field, I was like, this is incredible. Um, and all they're doing is practicing and then they're getting faster. I think for me, I was just naturally uh, a fast sprinter. So I thought, how can I take it to the next level? And just started practicing and practicing. And um, I never realized that it was a thing. I never realized that people were not dedicated enough to do that. I thought it was a natural thing. If you want to get better, then you will just keep practicing. But then I realized that some people just relied on their natural ability. And I think, um, I know there are expressions like, you know, um, talent um, and hard work together is good, but you know, talent alone doesn't beat hard work. But if you put them both together, then that can be an extraordinary thing. Now I was naturally fast, but I was very dedicated and, and very hardworking. Um, and I think, yeah, my dad did help me with, with that. He was a very strict person. Um, however, he was always up really early and he told me um, to get up really early. And there were some times when I would work with him. He used to do paint and decorating and we'd have to wake up at uh, maybe half five or five o'clock uh, to get ready before uh, the streets were you know, really busy and then we'll get to a location and do paint and decorating together. And, um, and then I would, um, yeah, there was, there was times when I would, I would be going to school, um, super early as well. I didn't, I didn't mention that part. Um, I would go with him for a, a couple of hours, paint and decorating in the morning. And then I would from there have my, I didn't, we didn't have school uniform. Um, I would just uh, get dressed from the workplace to go to school. Um, and I guess... Oh, so you were working before school. That's, that's... Yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? That's that's proper discipline. Well, my dad, he, did, he didn't want to give me pocket money. He wanted me to earn it. You know, like a lot of my friends, they were getting pocket money. Um, and he said, no, I'm not going to give you any pocket money. You need to earn it just like me. So if you want money, you'll have to work with me. So I, I was working with him just a few times a week or whenever he had jobs. Um, and then I started, uh, started a paper round where, you know, delivering newspaper every morning. So for me, working before I go to school was pretty standard. And I thought, if I'm going to wake up early to do this, then I also want to dedicate my time to this training as well, because I feel like I have something. 
So I'd wake up early and I'll do, I would jog around the park um, and then do the paper round or do the paper round, then jog around the park. I would somehow make it work before I went to school. And then after school, when I came back home, I would then do a little bit of training in my bedroom. Like I'll do a little bit of um, weight training. The weights were super light, but it was just something. I just thought I need to do something to try and be fitter. Yeah. It's amazing. Did you, so at this point, you didn't really have a goal of, I want to, it wasn't to compete as such. It was just to better yourself and get that muscular development that you'd kind of admired in athletes and gather that speed. That was it. Yeah. I just wanted to gather speed, but at the same time, I knew that physical training would be required, like a bit of, a bit of resistance training. So, you know, I'd watch these guys and I'll try and emulate what they were doing, you know, jogging around the park. And I remember, you know, having the tire wrapped around uh, my waist and running with the resistance behind me, stuff like that. Um, pushing it in the grass. Um, I think we've got, we've got sleds now and uh, prowlers as, as a, I don't know, like a, a luxury toy that you have in the gym. But I used to use that in the park because, you know, before we had all these fancy equipment. Um, I'd have a rucksack on and just put some stones in there or rocks and, or some of my stuff at home, I'd fill that up and I'll do walking lunges or jogging around the park. It was mainly trying to work on my speed. Um, but when I started to get the weights, um, yeah, I was just playing around with the weights in hope that my body will start to look a bit like the sprinters that I saw on the TV. And as my body slowly started to develop, I had my friend saying to me, wow, like you're starting to get a bit of muscle, but I never really saw it myself. I mean, I, I noticed little changes, but the more you start to hear it from people, you realize that something is working. So I thought, yeah, maybe I can just try and put a bit more time into it. So I started to train a little bit more, a bit more on the resistance side because I was, li I was liking when I looked in the mirror and, um, when I was 15, I had a bit of a, a mentor who, he was a lot older than me. Um, he used to go in his garage, raise up his garage doors, and he used to just like train in his garage. So I remember walking past and just watching him all the time. And then one day he invited me to, to come in and lift some weights with him. So um, that, was, that was like a blessing for me because I'd never trained with real uh, solid like cast iron plates before. The weights I had in my room were made of plastic, you know? And uh, so he was showing me different exercises and uh, really helped me a lot. And then when I was 16, I started the gym. Um, I was pretty lucky where my sister was working in a leisure center and there was a, a, a gym section in the leisure center and um, she managed to get me in there for free. Um, she just sort of put me on the system as a, as a paying customer. <laughs> like, thank you thank you so much <laughs> and because of that it was I knew I was lucky so I would just be in the gym like training as often as I could you know I'd be training at least three times a week um I was doing like all the classes as well like body pump class circuit training spinning um I don't know body attack all these all these classes where mainly women were in but I just wanted to be super fit as well as, you know, develop the muscles. I didn't know so much about nutrition, but I was just trying to do everything to try and <laughs> develop as much as I could. 
um, you know, as years started to go by and, and, and more education started to flow through my head, I then realized certain exercises I'd have to um, stop doing and certain foods I'd need to start consuming in order to develop more muscle. So kind of moving on from there to where you are now, right? Because you're in amazing shape even now. How disciplined do you have to be to maintain that physique in terms of your eating and your training? Like if we look at training first, and I know you were saying that your over your endurance, you tend to do like getting up early the other day and using your bike a lot and actually not driving your car everywhere. What does your like weekly training schedule look like in terms of volume and commitment yeah so it does change every once in a while obviously we had that lockdown period so things had to i had to evolve to the situation so i started to get a few more free weights in the garden and i had to get a bench because i didn't have a bench in my house uh, so i got a bench um and uh, uh, some bulgarian bags um kettlebells um skipping ropes and like loads of different stuff even the weighted vest and a trx and was doing lots of things around my house so it was very mixed and now i'm back at the gym i'm still kind of piecing stuff together in all fairness but typically what i like to do is train the largest body parts near the beginning of the week because normally over the weekend i might consume a bit more calories and i'll have a lot more rest so if at the beginning of the week will be my strongest. So I'll tend to train legs, for instance, at the beginning of the week. I'll have a lot of calories to use to push into the legs. And as it's the largest muscle group, that's normally the way I do it. Um, and then I'll sort of cascade down from there, like working the back and maybe the chest or the shoulders. And then I'll kind of mix it up accordingly. Um, as and do you cardio, do isolation movements as well in terms of for the aesthetics or do you mostly stick to compound? I, I, I normally focus a lot more on compound, um, but I do hit some isolation. But there's certain isolations I won't do uh, simply because I'm getting a bit older and I want to focus more on longevity. I want to I focus more on uh, the strength of my joints and ligaments. And if I keep overexerting my joints and ligaments when doing the isolations, then I might end up being injured. <laughs> I've, I've had like minor, um, you know, uh, minor, I wouldn't even say setbacks, but, you know, just like, you know, niggles as people call it. Um, but I've never had a point where I've needed to be out of the gym for a, you know, a sustained period of time because I always focus on, making sure that I'm injury free. When I see people that are injured and they're out of the gym, that, that kind of scares me, you know? So mm. it's a blessing that I've always been able to train. And that for me is something um, I am grateful for. And I'm not trying to be the strongest person in the gym. Some days I feel strong. And if I'm feeling strong, then I will train accordingly. If I'm not feeling as strong, then that's fine. I'm not going to try and be a superhero. I've got nothing to prove um, apart from just trying to keep it as, as long as possible. My, my so main focus is that. Is, is on injury prevention. So what are your thoughts then? So when you're building muscle, 
um, you know, you'll hear people say you've got to push to the point of failure. Obviously, at the point at which you have failure, you, there's a loss in technique, isn't there? So it's a really delicate balance before, between getting to absolute failure and actually just stopping that little bit before where you haven't increased your risk of injury. How would you, how do you kind of work that out then in terms of how far you can go? Or do you mm. use, do you always have somebody with you that can kind of spot you to make sure there is no injury? Do you train alone or? Yeah, I normally, I normally train alone. Very rare I'll train with someone. Back in 2009, I did have a training partner. I think that was the last uh, year of having a training partner. And, and before that, I was training with this guy for about three years. And um, it was amazing. It was really good. We, you know, we was pushing each other. But then um, when I changed home address and went to a different gym, I started to, I had to train by myself. So I had to get used to the idea that I don't have a training partner. And also to understand that what if a situation occurs where you can't train with someone? So I started to build up this thought process that I need to get used to training by myself. Um, but yeah, so I do my best in training to failure. So again, I'll go, I'll go by the way I feel. If I'm feeling strong, then yes, I will go as heavy as I physically can. And I don't mind if... If I'm going for eight reps, but I fail at six, for me, that's the goal. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm achieving eight, then that's almost like that's the failure. Because <laughs> yeah, you should have gone heavier, right? Exactly. That's the thing. You could complete it. So Exactly. So that, that, that is exactly my mindset. So when, um, you know, when people are going for one rep maxes and stuff like that, that that's all well and good when you're trying to build strength, but when you're trying to build muscle, um, that's not really, you can have that as a partial goal, but you wouldn't have that as, as the main goal. I do have, when I'm training, I do focus mainly on small amount of reps and, um, higher weight. I do focus a lot more in that. When I done the genetic test, I think that was when I made the switch. And this was from around 2013. Was it 2013? It was around 2013 or 2014 was when I switched my training um, repetitions. I used to rep to about 15, between 15 and 25 sometimes. But then when I done this genetics test, it said that I was more of a, a power, power than endurance person. I always thought that because I'd done a lot of endurance in the past, um, that this is the way I should train. And then when I started to speak to a representative of this DNA company, they started to ask me about my background and they said, um, it explains why this is your, your genetics test came out this way because you was a 100 and 200 meter sprinter. You wasn't a, um, you know, he wasn't a, a long distance runner. It was very explosive. That was the reason why you was good is explosive moves so i was like wow okay it's all making sense so yeah so i reduced the repetition started to increase the weight and just increase the amount of sets so as opposed to three sets i'll do maybe six to eight sets so maybe one exercise and i'll focus a lot more on compound exercises that is like a, a multi-muscle multi-joint movement to, so that i'm building the ligaments and the tendons as well as 
um, different muscle groups at the same time. So my strength is going up, my muscular development is going up. And as the muscles goes up, the body fat comes down. Obviously with more muscle, <laughs> the higher your basal metabolic rate. Um, and it was insane because, um, yeah, like maybe around seven years ago, I probably had a bit more muscle than now. And um, I would not do a single bit of cardio at all. I wouldn't touch cardio. But I had, I, my body fat levels were so low uh, simply because, because of the muscle that I had. Um, so with training, I would focus a lot more on, um, I do, I'll do failure, but, um, if, if I can't achieve the amount of repetitions, then I'll start to doing, start doing some drop sets and I'll mix it up accordingly, depending how I feel. Um, I might do some drop sets or I might do, um, um, more slow eccentric or isometric holds, um, slow concentric as well. Um, I just mix it up. I mix it yeah, up. Yeah, so it's kind of intuitive and also it's fun, isn't it? I found that the genetics made a difference, I must say. It was interesting for me because my what mine showed was that I was much lower on strength, so I didn't have as much strength capacity, so things like you were saying, the one rep max, and I was more power and endurance. And so when I then, and it's, it's really interesting because when I looked at training programs that I've done over time, I got the most incredible results from zero cardio, like you say, or just small amounts of sprinting, coupled with um, kind of that eight to 10 rep range. I was so lean. Um, you know, I remember going through like having like, you know, really solid six pack. And I was like, actually, I've got to stop this because it's not that feminine. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and when I did my genetics later, I was like, that makes sense. Whereas I had another trainer who took me through, like, we're going to hit strength really hard. And I used to really, really struggle with it. You know, he was like, got to go for the one rep max. We've got to do a maximum of three reps. And I did not like the way my body looked on that program. The aesthetics were not, I know you're not meant to build size in that rep range. You're meant to build strength. But for me, everything did just get better, get bigger, sorry. Mm -hmm. Like overall bigger, do you know what I mean? And my body fat percentage was definitely not as low. And uh, right. so I, 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 like you, have first-hand experience where the genetic component just, it just kind of takes the guesswork out, doesn't it? You can yep, really brilliant. refine things. Yeah, absolutely. Who did you do the genetics test with? So I did it initially with DNA Fit. And then when yeah. they released Circle, I did the Circle as well. Right, right. So yeah. what, was the, uh, what was the ratio between both of them? So when, when I first did it back in the day, they didn't test the strength, did they? They just did like, what's your power versus your endurance? And I yeah. came out kind of about 60% power, I think. And then when I've re-looked at it now and they've gone into more detail, the strength is pretty low and I'm predominantly just power and endurance. What about you? What were you right. Yeah, mine was, yeah, 60% uh, power, 40% endurance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so I found that and I, I sat down with Andrew Steele actually and interviewed him and he was saying how just the results that they've had putting that training protocol out even with people for, for weight loss is so great because often with weight loss you kind of need to incentivize someone quite quickly don't you otherwise that's why people go on fad diets because yeah. they want to get results fast but then they have the rebound whereas when you do a kind of genetically tailored diet plan and fitness plan you're not, you're not doing anything faddy, but you are fast tracking results that are sustainable. So I think it works yeah. really well. It is. It's, 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 um, I don't know. It's, it's an amazing thing. It's, 
unfortunately it's it's not within everyone's budget to go and do all these different tests so you know you really need to understand your body and listen to your body much of the time when it comes to training it, it will scare you because like, oh i don't like this this is painful like stop it but you have to try different training protocols and see what works for you but if you want to fast track that then yeah a genetics test will tell you a lot it will tell you as well um, maybe certain foods which doesn't work with your body. And although you can do intolerance tests as well, um, a lot of the genetics tests now, especially circle DNA, I was like, wow. Mm. So many different things. Like, oh, they, they were telling you, telling me about these different traits as well. I don't know the, the strength of the, uh, of the research on that, on the actual, on that part of the test, but like they'll tell you if you're gifted in a certain area or not, you know? So, <laughs> I had this. Uh, yeah. Mine were quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think those are those ones are correlation studies, aren't they? Because I I was told I was gifted in music and dance, and my kids were like, "What? You've got to be joking!" And I was like, "You see, Mummy's not bad at singing. She just needs more practice. <laughs> she just needs to put Alexa karaoke on even more." <laughs> <laughs> on those holidays, I think. What would it say for me? Um, there was one. It said, "Apparently, I'm gifted in languages," and I was like, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I learned German at school and I wasn't too bad, you know, had a few German girlfriends in the past. So obviously it wasn't that bad. Um, but yeah, and there was some other strange stuff on there. Um, but how did you get started yourself? Because I know your background, you was, you was, uh, you was a lawyer, wasn't you? Yeah, I was a lawyer. Yeah, really weird checkered route. So for me, in the same way you used to look at uh, sprinters, and, and be uh, fascinated by their muscular physique. I was into LA law back in the day. All right. <laughs> and Ali McBeal, that just shows my age, doesn't it? And I was like, I want to say, you can't say that. I remember being interviewed at one of the top law firms in London. And, uh, and I think actually one of my friends at law school did say that. They were like, how did you first, what, what made you want to become a lawyer? And she was like, I don't know, I just love LA law. <laughs> It's not, the most, it's not the most intelligent of answers, is it? So anyway, um, I, did, I was a bit inspired by that. And it was just always on my mind. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a lawyer. So I kind of got into corporate law. Initially, it was defamation law. So did a fun stint, you know, as a trainee of people suing each other for defamation in the newspapers and things like that. But then when I did company law, I don't know why, I was inspired by that. Big mistake. It was ridiculously long hours I mean I worked myself <laughs> like to death I guess it was you know lots of weekends all-nighters um definitely did not do me any favors now that I found out I had the Alzheimer's gene you know the lack oh, of sleep right so yeah. uh but anyway so I was a corporate lawyer and then my first kind of brush with health was when I was in my 20s and I'd, I'd had some kind of hormonal issues as a teenager but classically at that stage no one investigates it they're just like well we'll just put you on the contraceptive pill that sorts out everything for girls right. and then it got to my late 20s and I was like I want to start a family and I realized that everything wasn't right I came off the pill had some investigations done and was diagnosed with PCOS and endometriosis and then put on metformin originally, which is a diabetic drug. Do you go a bit in um, detail about PCOS so people know? Yeah, sure. So PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, is where you essentially get lots and lots of cysts build up on the ovaries. And that stops you ovulating. So for a lot of women, it's, um, 
it just means that they can't have children because they're not ovulating each month. And so I started while practicing as a lawyer, because I was going to have surgery. I was like, well, how that only kind of makes it better for a short period of time. It's going to come back. I wanted to understand how can I naturally improve this scenario? And I knew when they prescribed me metformin, which is a, a drug that's obviously used now in the longevity business, but is also was used and is used to this day for diabetes, diabetes, sorry. So um, I couldn't take it. It was very, it made me very, very nauseous. A lot of people have gastrointestinal upset with metformin. So I was doing research into how can I naturally try to balance my hormones and solve my PCOS. And I came across a great book all about the nutritional link between PCOS and insulin resistance. And I realized that managing blood sugar was key. And this was pre-DNA testing and stuff. Um, And it made a lot of sense when I was reading it because I had a very strong family history of diabetes and kidney failure. So I didn't kind of want to go down that road. And obviously this was showing up for me initially. And once I got that piece, um, I mean, the science of it is that essentially when your blood glucose goes up and insulin goes high, that impacts something called lutensin hormone, which is what helps you ovulate. And so instead of ovulating, you get a cyst. The, the egg is not released. You get a cyst build up. And as those cysts come more and more, and they're tiny at first, they end up, in my situation, completely, the ovaries are completely covered in these cysts. So now, even when you're controlling things like blood sugar, your chances of ovulating is quite small. So I had to have quite extensive surgery where they laser everything off and then effectively drill holes into the ovaries to help you ovulate. And it was magical. I mean, I conceived all my three children naturally after that. They removed all the endometriosis. But um, that was kind of my first foray into nutrition. So at that point, I started a low carbohydrate diet, and that worked really, really well for fertility. And then I then um, was continuing kind of working as a lawyer. And then as I had my kids, the, the um, gynecologist that I was seeing, the specialist said, because we've done surgery, your best chances are to have the, your children as many as you want in close succession, because that will improve your chances of fertility. And also the best cure for endometriosis is actually pregnancy. So in between my second and third child, it came back and then I fell pregnant and pregnancy cured it. So I had my three kids, basically three within four and a half years, which was pretty quick. And obviously I'd had this um, background of no sleep and kind of adrenal dysfunction in, in the lead up to it. And that actually resulted in really bad postnatal depression for me. So I was never expecting to have that. I've always been a really positive, upbeat person. And initially, after my first and second child, I had to take medication after my second. I did a lot of therapy work to try and get over it and understand it. And then my my GP was quite against me having a third child, but I wanted to, my husband and I wanted to have another one. Your GP? Yeah, he was quite, he was like, because it was quite a journey getting back on track after depression. Mm. So he was like, I think, you know, you need to, you've had all these gynecological issues and you've had depression we've kind of just got you to where you are it might not be advisable because each time it comes back a bit more entrenched so i sorry sorry mm. quickly so i'm guessing you was discussing that you're you was having plans to have another child with your gp then for them to yeah so i'd seen him so i was kind of being monitored and also for the other gynecological stuff and he was like, I think, you know, you've come through this. It took quite a few years 
like a couple of years, I think you should just consider the effects because it, it, it can get worse postnatal depression um, with each child. So we decided, I thought, well, I've, I've solved it. I've had lots of therapy. I've got my mindset of feeling better. Um, and so I had my third pregnancy. I was fine during that pregnancy. And then after my third child, actually, it hit me really, really badly and worse than ever before. And that was when I was then under the care of a psychiatrist at the Priory Hospital um, and I was on bipolar medication. So it kind of on some pretty hefty drugs and having lots and lots of kind of suicidal thoughts and really just having to try and pick myself back up. And you know, it was kind of taking my eldest son about an hour and a half, two hours to get me out of bed to do the school run. It becomes so physical. I feel for anyone that's anyone listening that has struggles with depression, it's very difficult because you can't you can't distinguish between the mental and the physical component. I felt physically so exhausted and ill. And so um eventually what happens is you have to be careful what you think about ultimately my kids got a cough they came down with it I picked it up and in me it, it kind of went pretty badly wrong quite quickly so I came down with pneumonia and they were doing chest x-rays and then they saw some development on the x-rays and thought that actually I had lung cancer so I was rushed through to the hospital to have a CT scan and then when I came back into the, the um, meeting with the doctor, he was like, well, this, this is worse than we thought. And I was thinking, well, please don't tell me I've got lung cancer. Um, and he said, you know, you've, it's not lung cancer, but the, the damage to your lungs is quite extensive and you've got viral and bacterial pneumonia over both lungs. We're going to have to admit you straight into hospital. So I was kind of faced with this scenario where I couldn't say goodbye to the kids. They were at school. I'm immediately admitted. He wanted, it was at a private hospital at the time, he wanted to um, take me by ambulance to the general hospital because he thought he was going to have to intubate me um, and that I wouldn't be able to breathe on my own and I kind of pleaded with him and said look I'm not getting any sleep I've got young children can I just stay here in this private hospital for the night and see how things go and that's when my white blood cell count dropped I went neutropenic and I was fighting for my life and that was a really defining moment for me because I battled with my mental health so extensively and in, in that moment, I guess, you know, when you're in hospital and your family are at home, you, you're only with yourself. All I'd been trying to do was I adored my kids and my husband. I just wanted to run away from myself, from my thoughts. And then here I am in hospital and I can't go anywhere because I'm just stuck with me. And then my brother pitches up at the hospital and I don't, I don't see him that often. I was kind of like, what are you, what are you doing here? And he was like, oh my God, I, I saw on Sky News that people sometimes die of pneumonia. I was like, oh, well, thanks. So that's what you've come to see me, is it? Um, but anyway, that, that moment for me was really defining. And I think I thought, well, actually, I want to get, I want to get well. I want to be a part of my children's life. And that changed my mindset forever. And I wouldn't say I was lucky. I made a full recovery. It was a journey. But, and I, and I still have, you know, post-infection induced asthma. But I would say that, um, it changed my desire to be present in my children's lives. And initially I then wanted to find out how I could be healthy. So health optimization for me was how can I get into the best physical and mental shape? Because both had taken a toll by that point. Mm. Um, and so I went on that journey and requalified in nutritional therapy and holistic health coaching. And then I started to realize over time as I was working with clients that actually, you know, it's not about having, um, 
you know, being healthy and combining it with performance, I realized that optimal health was actually the foundation of high performance if you want to have it over the long term. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I kind of moved into executive health coaching. And so that was kind of my journey and left law completely and never went back to it. So you first of all started to kind of rebuild your health. And then when you went into studying, what was it? What did you study? Nutritional therapy and, Nutri and holistic health coaching. Yeah. Was you was you studying that because you wanted to just develop yourself or was you thinking, okay, this is going to be my future? Initially, future? it was just for me. Yeah. It was, and it was giving, and it was helping with the depression. Because what had happened was where I'd had therapy, the things they would be saying to me is, you know, you're trying to do too much. And to tell, tell someone who was running multinational deals that today, because, you know, I don't know, I... <laughs> I did a workout was too much for the day was so incongruent. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm just a shadow of my former self. This is crazy. How can you tell me I'm doing too much? You know, just getting out of bed was a, was a win. So <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I mentally, it was initially helping me actually get through things because I was, I was, I suppose, intellectually stimulated again and motivated to do something. So I was studying and I was really fascinated by it all. And I started to realize and, and then start to put the missing pieces together, you know? So when I did my DNA test and I saw that I'm very sensitive to carbohydrates, things made sense. It was like, ah, okay, I get it now because that was having an impact on my PCOS and the insulin resistance. And so I mm. kind of, I was putting the missing pieces together. And so, yeah, initially it was just for me. And then I turned it into a career. That's amazing. That is, that's an inspiring story. And I think that's how it is for a lot of people where they, they, they kind of battle out of a certain situation and then they kind of think there's probably loads of other people who's going through maybe something similar or I don't know, I can help others to avoid them from finding themselves in this kind of situation because there's many people out there that had been through a certain suffering and it's like, I don't think others should go through this. This is horrible. What's your thoughts on that? Was that one of those I things? I think for you? it was one of those things. I think that I found it, I think it's, I wanted to help people initially. I'm going to be honest. Initially, when I um, started to, when I was first having that battle with depression, I couldn't talk about it. So I couldn't, I used to see people at school and sometimes they'd be like, oh, did you, you just ignored me. I wouldn't do that deliberately. I had no idea people were there. To be honest, when you're that depressed, you have no idea whether the sun's shining or not. It makes no difference. It doesn't lift your mood. And I didn't want anybody to know. It was my secret battle. So I didn't talk to anyone about it. As I started to get help and begin to get over it, I started to um, talk to very close friends. But it's only been since I've come through the other side, but the mental health, the physical health, I think I just find it easier in a way you can detach yourself from it. But the mental health component, I feel now I really want to help people with it. Like sharing that story, if that helps somebody. And when I've shared on other podcasts before, you know, people have messaged me and said, oh my God, I just, I, I feel it's so it's so helpful to feel someone else who's been through it and to understand that process and they'll message me and I'll always chat to people on social about it because I think it's it's so difficult and it's such a, a secret kind of private battle for so many people yeah. that the, to the outside world it seems fine 
you know, lots of people will say to me, I have absolutely no idea. And that's because the pain inside of you when it's a mental health issue can be so severe that you cannot talk about it because if you do, you feel like you're going to break down. You just feel like the whole armory is going to come crashing down. And the moment you do, you're so vulnerable. Where are you going to be with it? Um, so, mm. yeah. You might feel like you don't want to pressure other people with it as well, I'd assume. Definitely. Yeah. I never wanted to burden anyone with it. Mm. It was always going to be, you know, my kind of, how do I get past it? And I think her therapy helps massively because it made me think about my thoughts, you know, like we were saying at the beginning, you were saying how you love winter and we were sort of turning things on their head and we were talking about the sunset. It definitely has helped me do that and change, change my outlook, change my thoughts and think, how can I reframe something? Is there another way of looking at it? But I don't think it's enough on its own. I think it was finding my purpose had the biggest impact for me. And I guess being a lawyer wasn't my purpose or mission in life. Amazing. That is really interesting you know, making a switch, you know, cause I'd done some odd jobs in the past and I, I thought it was just a case of trying to make money. But then it was not until I was made redundant that my eyes was open, that fitness was not just a passion for me, but it was something that I could actually bring to the world. Obviously we, you know, we've got different reasons as to why we are here to deliver the message and help other people. But it's kind of interesting the way life kind of steers you in certain directions, don't you think? <laughs> Definitely. I think I, I do believe in that whole kind of everything happens for a reason, right? Things are meant. There's a, there's a bigger, a bigger path, isn't there, that we don't always know. That's the yeah. thing. So for those I, listening who don't know, it's what is pulsed electromagnetic. Yes. Field. Magnetic fields. Yes. Yes. So the one I use is this one here, uh, Biomag. Biomag. Um, it's uh, through a company called uh, Numed. Numed. They've got like loads of different PEMF uh, equipment. And um, I was introduced to them through someone called Pete. Pete, what's his surname? Can't remember. I've done a podcast with him. And the more he started to speak about it, I was like, wow, I need one of those. Because I was, I was suffering from like acute lower back pain for a little bit. And I was thinking, I don't know, is it the, is it the deadlifts? <laughs> um, and my, yeah, I, I think I, bu I bought a pillow and rather than replacing it from my other pillow, I'd use both of them. You know, like when you're in a hotel and you've got like, um, just like, a, I don't know, pillows in abundance. I wanted that kind of feeling, you know? So mm. I had two pillows and it felt amazing. But slowly as days progressed, I started to get acute pain in my lower back and then it eventually started to, you know, I used to just jump out of bed and then it got to the point where I was slowly creeping out of the bed and then crawling slowly. And I was like, wow, is this because I'm getting older? I didn't know this was going to happen. You know, I just <laughs> thought this was something to do with age. And when, when I started to look into it, I was like, what has changed in my life, which might have caused this? And then I was thinking, um, is, am I laying funny? I looked at the bed. I'm like, no. I was like, I've got two nice, comfortable pillows. And I was like, well, I have bought another pillow. So is that got something to do with it? But I feel good. So it can't be that. And I thought, let me just remove the pillow to see if there's any difference. So I removed one of them and slowly my back started to get better. But I still had um, some, some acute pain in the lower back. 
but I was also getting a bit of joint pain in my left knee. Um, and then, yeah, when I spoke to Pete, I can't remember his surname, but um, he told me about PEMF, which um, helps with like things even far worse than acute pain, like sciatica and like loads of stuff, arthritis as well. And I thought, all right, I need to invest in a map. So I had a talk with uh, the company and um, yeah, purchased the mat. They, they told me this one. I was expecting to pay far less. <laughs> I wanted to spend <laughs> maybe cheap, a couple hundred. Cheap yeah, exactly. But I was like, do you know what? This is an investment. Hey, wait a minute. How often do you use it and how quickly did you see results from it? It's one of those things where um, you, you don't just feel like, incredible the next day you're not going to cartwheel out the bed immediately or anything like that but um i i started to use it and i just it was a case of where when i was when i was getting out the bed um i wasn't in a in a fetal position for too long i was like oh i can move a bit quicker that's cool that's cool maybe there's progress until it slowly got to the point where I, I was just moving quicker each day. Um, and it probably took mm, maybe about a week, just over a week to feel much better. I, was st I still had the, uh, the pain and then maybe two weeks it was completely clear. Um, so it's, it's fantastic for recovery mm. as well. You know, like any kind of, inflammation that you might get from um kryptonite food <laughs> um cookies oh my god <laughs> cookies the soft cookies <laughs> the gooey um, ones <laughs> those are dreadful don't do it don't do it um or like you know intensive training sessions so after a training session there is a setting on there for muscles and um so where have you got it on? You've got your feet on the mat, have you? Well, it's, it's, you can get ones you lay on, can't you? Yeah, that's right. And, and that's what mine is. Oh, I can't really show you, but... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah got you. One of those. If you fold it down and double it up, it kind of in, um, increases the uh, intensity of it. There's another part which is called an applicator that you can plug in there. And the Gauss measurement in which it, or frequency that it gives out, is even more powerful than the mat. So it's more of a a directional treatment. So uh, recently I was training um, legs and I think my positioning of my feet was slightly off and uh, my ankle started to feel a bit tender. So I just put the applicator near my ankle and then now don't even feel it. I just, that was like one treatment. Um, so really good, really good. Um, yeah, so what does it say? So for muscle, I trained today and now I'm sitting on it. It says, um, uh, muscle fatigue after exercise, heavy physical work, and when exhausted. Purpose of application, to reduce pain and create metabolic conditions to accelerate muscle recovery. Yeah. I think. And which one is it that you're using? Um, there are a few companies that do it, aren't there? Yeah, this is by NewMed, NewMed Limited. Okay. Um, I, I don't know what the name of this particular one oh, is called. Yeah, um, Biomag, um, but yeah, if you were to contact NuMed and just say, um, yeah, Roger Snipes bought a device from you, and they asked me to share a discount code with anyone who's interested, 
and it's uh, Snipes5. But if you just mention my name, then they'll know exactly which one because there's been a few people that have been interested in this one. Yeah, um, sure. It's incredible. I have my daughter sit on it before she goes to school um, just to help to rejuvenate the body. Um, and I'll just sit on it every day. I'll, there's a relaxation one as well um, where you can use it you know, before bed. Um, you notice during... the difference with your daughter since she's used it? It's, it's hard to tell because it, <laughs> I don't know, so her energy levels is always up anyway. Mm. But I'll ju I just put it on there because she might have inflammation from eating kryptonite from school or um, um, she's running around a lot and I just want her to rejuvenate through using, uh, using the mat. So it's hard to tell. Her energy levels is always up. Yeah. She's one who, when she's watching the TV, she's jogging on the spot. I'm like, Zara, you can relax. And she's like, no, oh, no, I'm okay. She's just jogging, jogging. <laughs> that amazing energy yeah. that you have as a kid. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, I can't do that. She's like, Daddy, join me and I'll join her for um, 30 seconds. I'm like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'll lay back down on a PEMF mat. I'll <laughs> <laughs> okay, get in the sauna. My kids go with my sunlighting in the sauna. They like, they, they go in that, but not for that long. I mean, they say, don't they, two minutes per um, year of age. I wouldn't say mine go for that long because that would right. be nearly 30 minutes, you know, for my 13 year old. And right. uh, that's, that's quite a long time. But how, how long, it, what about yourself? How long do you go in there for? I go in standardly, I'll do about 40 minutes. Right. Um, that mm. one's kind of high emissivity. So you actually get the infrared in terms of like how much you get. So you don't have to go in that long. Um, I love it. I, I, um, but for me, it's like, it's definitely a morning thing, right? Because then by then I've got to go and wash my hair, blow dry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't <laughs> focus too much on my hair. Yeah, so you don't, you, you, can, you can dive in whenever you want. But That's what it. about your, because you mentioned there the PMF and you were saying that you focus now on making sure with like basically avoiding the aging process. And you talked about making sure your joint strength was good and mobility. What do you do for that? Because obviously you're strengthening your bones by training and that will have an impact on joints as well. But mm -hmm. how do you ensure like the lubrication? Are you somebody that takes a lot of kind of like extra collagen and bone broth and things? Is it mm -hmm. nutritional or um, what, what kind of stuff do you do for joint health and, and mobility as well? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think mobility is probably just uh, foam rolling and a bit of stretching, okay. to be honest with you. So I'll have the PMF mat on the floor and I'll do some stretching on that. Um, as for the joints, um, I do use the red light therapy as well. I've got a panel. I've also got like um, a directional red light therapy device. I think, what's it called? I think it's called a flex beam. So it flexes around different parts of your body. Sometimes what I do is I'll actually put it on around my abdomen to try and work around um, all of my organs, my stomach to make sure that, you know, the infrared is penetrating in there. Um, I just feel like it might be good as a start to the morning when I'm having a, a coffee or molecular hydrogen water or any of the uh, supplements I might take in the morning. Um, I like that on that, the molecular and hydrogen water. I really like um, Macola's. 
um, one. I actually, I was testing it. How different do I feel when I have just a glass of water and when I have hydrogen water? And I think I do actually feel way more energy when I've had hydrogen water first thing. Yeah. yeah. I think it makes a difference. Absolutely. Mm. I, that's normally the first thing I have in the morning, then I'll have a coffee. Sometimes mm. I'll have a bulletproof. Sometimes I'll have a, um, I don't know, like a manipulated version of a bulletproof coffee. Um, or I might not have the butter in it, I'll just have the MCT. Um, because I'll be like, mm, do you know what? I'm going to have like loads of fats later. Let's not overdo it. Um, but yeah, back to the joints, probably red light therapy. And, um, do you use it on the red light therapy? I know when I spoke to James Strong, who's founder of red light rising, he uses red light therapy to improve his time to, to failure. So he can actually push harder. Would you use your red light before training or do you use it afterwards, or are you just doing it on a specific area of complaint? Um, I'd probably do it just in the evening. Okay. Yeah, I, um, I haven't used it in the morning. Well, actually, yes, I have, but sometimes I'll get my daughter to uh, sit in front of it in the morning before she goes to school. Mm. So, um, yeah, myself, I'd probably, yeah, have it later. I haven't, yeah, it'd be interesting to try. I've only, even the sauna, I normally do that in the evening red light um sorry the infrared sauna um and um i tried it once in the morning and it was it was a nice experience but normally i'll do a lot of things in the evening because in the morning I'm, I'm quite busy and i don't really have time to sit down and just chill for a long period of time so um yeah probably about six or seven probably seven o'clock i'll uh sit in front of the um the red light panel and I have something else called a Nano V, um, oh, yeah. which um, helps with the whole protein folding process and reduces mm -hmm. oxidative stress. So I'll, I'll use them both at the same time as a way of just, um, just relaxing me, really, for the evening, try and induce that, um, that deep sleep. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And, um, in terms of like when you wake up in the morning, because you were saying how early you get up, um, is that, how do you get enough sleep? Do you, are you someone that goes to bed really early? Like you were mentioning there, you wind down from kind of six. Will you be in bed by sort of nine? Now, to be honest with you, it had been very difficult during the whole lockdown process. So I was going to bed super late. So it's almost like getting back to how things were before. During the lockdown, it was ugly. I was going to bed at like one o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. two o'clock okay. i was still getting the same amount of sleep but it just wasn't it just didn't feel right i'd wake up and i'm like i don't understand but i just don't feel great you know um and i Do believe you think that's it's... because you were getting less deep sleep did you track it on your aura ring because generally like deep sleep predominates the first part of the night doesn't it so if you're going to bed later often people will miss out on deep sleep and then they're just getting more kind of light and rapid eye movement did you see any changes on your aura <laughs> my aura stopped working so i wasn't able to track it ah, okay. um especially when i noticed that it wasn't it just wasn't right like it was tracking my workouts <laughs> Um, but it wasn't tracking my sleep. So okay. I still need to get that fixed, to be honest with you. But I just kind of noticed myself that it just wasn't, just wasn't, it was just off. So yeah, going back to sleep at the right time, 
the moment I got all the protocols in place, the, the red light therapy in the evening with my Nano V and the, the, the PEMF mat, I can just, I can fall asleep like super quick um, and fall asleep by 10 o'clock, half nine. The other day I fell asleep at like, I think seven o'clock or something. Wow. Um, and that was the reason why I woke up at early hours of the morning before four o'clock. And I was like, man, I'm ready to start. You know, cartwheel out the bed, backflip out the bed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Straight onto the bike. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had uh, hydrogen water and um, I didn't even need a coffee. I was just like on the bike and cycling straight away. Felt amazing. And the cold. One thing I like to do during the winter time is literally go topless in the cold. So when it's two degrees, two, three degrees, or even less, that would be beautiful. I'll just go out there and I'll just... Uh, cycle in the cold so i'm looking forward to that it's do you such wear gloves an and a hat or do you just completely um i'll wear gloves yeah. i'll wear gloves um but i'll literally wear shorts i'll wear shorts uh with some vibrams on my feet and i'll just like go cycling or a jog stop and do some push-ups and just like embrace the cold and the the feeling the I don't know. I, I'm not too sure what sort of chemicals is flowing about. Uh, what is norepinephrine? Norepinephrine is like yeah. a, a dren- similar to adrenaline, so it's stimulatory, yeah. Yeah. So you're so, stimulating that with the cold. It's like when you have a cold shower, I feel like I've really, you know, they say if you've done a cold shower in the morning, then the day can't get any harder. But actually, I, I love that. But it's beyond that, it's kind of, I don't know, it stimulates, doesn't it? That the, the norepinephrine and things, and you just feel really like, I'm so super productive. My husband's like, you and your cold child, he's like racing around the kitchen. It just <laughs> removes the need for coffee to kind of get going. I love that. I, Cause I, I have quite often meditate in front of my red light or in the sauna, and then I'll have a cold shower. Yeah, So that's yeah. kind of my morning routine. That's a good one to meditate. I do that more in front of the red light panel than in the sauna. In the sauna, because there's a speaker, I tend to put on a podcast, like mm. always. I'm like, ooh, this is my, my moment of study. Like podcast to me is like a study. Yeah. Where I can just like listen to people talk about some amazing things and it's my way of learning. And I think I can, I can meditate any other time. No, this time I'm just in case, like no disturbances and I could do a bit of study. So I'll put on a podcast and, um, yeah, listen to something, but that's cool though. What do you use to, uh, do you have anything which you meditate with like a, a, a guidance meditation tool or do you just use your own mind with some essential oils or something like that? (laughs) So do you know what's in, yeah. So I used to do a lot of Joe guided meditations with Dr. Joe Dispenza. They are quite long. And so they're quite time consuming, but also I kind of then got to the point where I was like, I don't want to be guided all the time. I actually want to learn and have my own meditation practice. I can do any time. So I recently did Emily Fletcher's course, stress. She wrote the book, stress less, accomplish more. And she uses, she's very much like, look, you're not here to be a monk. Uh, you know, meditation is basically a performance hack and it's to make you better at life. So I learned her three M form of meditation and studied it. It's a form of Vedic meditation. It's meant to be like two to five times deeper than sleep. And it feels amazing. Like if I've had a poor quality night's sleep and I go and go through that Vedic meditation process where you use a mantra, I will feel so energized after it. And hers is designed to be done actually twice a day. I really struggle 
with the extra one. I've, I've done it and it's been amazing in terms of, you know, like um, preschool run at kind of 2.30ish. Actually, mm. if you take that 15, 20 minutes, my, my afternoon goes so swimmingly with the kids. I've just got better emotional control. I'm more energized and everything just the, the afternoon runs really well and productive as well if I've got work. But most times I end up sacrificing it because I'm so busy. Mm. But in the morning, I find it brilliant. I think it's really, really good. What's her name again? Emily Fletcher. Emily Fletcher. Yeah. Not that, not that She's cool. I've got a mastermind actually with her next month. So I'm going to look to get her on the, on the podcast as well. But she's very, um, it's very accessible form of meditation. And she talks you through, you know, how you're, you're not there to be the bouncer, right? You haven't got to judge your thoughts and how to use the mantra to come back. Um, so I do that. I have played around with the Muse headband. You know, have you tried that? And yeah. have you ever tried it? Yeah. Yeah, I've got I that, didn't yeah. find it that great. I mean, it's it's interesting. And you know how they give you like the birds come in if you've got into the zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. You're like, yeah. You're like, exactly. Because you're all excited, then, it throws it all off. Like, no. It completely throws it off because the birds come in and you're like, hey, I'm in, I'm in the zone. I'm in the zone. And then, <laughs> then the birds go because obviously now your brain waves are too fast. And so I was kind of like quite competitive with it. So I... Yeah, I didn't. And then I got a bit frustrated. But also, I guess it's just another bit of radiation, isn't it? I try to go as natural as I possibly can. So I find doing that quiet stillness myself um, is actually really, really powerful. And there's some, she teaches you like manifestation at the end, but really visualizing what you want. I think I I like that. The other thing I really like as well is um, parts of the sixth phase meditation that um, Vishen Lakiani does. Uh, from mine, the, the guy that um, runs Mind Valley. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, his one really like the, it, he starts with this concept of holding someone you love in your mind, um, whether that's a child or a pet or partner, and then imagining a color and you sort of color them in with it. And then you that love comes to you and then to everyone in the house and then to the country and then to the world. And you've kind of lit up a whole map of the world doing it. It's a really magical kind of, you know, we were talking about that yeah. sort of love and connection. It re- it's really nice. And then he moves you through gratitude and all these different processes, the six phases. I quite like that one as well. Mm. If I was doing guided. I like that. I like that. I'd, I'd heard something similar to that. Um, like if you're having negative thoughts and trying to get some positive energy in you, sort of imagining the negative energy, a specific color, and um, kind of removing it from your body into a ball and looking at that, the, that, that color of negative energy and then picturing a, um, a basketball hoop and then throwing it directly in the hoop. And then when it goes through the hoop, it changes into a positive color, a color which you associate with positive. And then, you know, when you throw it through the hoop, it doesn't change completely, but you get more positive energy in that ball. So you grab it again and keep throwing it through the hoop and just kind of visualize your energy going up and up and yeah, that's what, as you were saying that, I kind of visualized that, which that's, I'd heard from. That's a previous powerful. One. Where did you get that from? I can't remember. It's um, interesting. Just trying to think. Because um, back in the day, I used to, um, I was reading different books and one by Neil Strauss called The Game. 
And it was a really cool book. It was basically the art of pickup, how to pick up women. But what I found quite fascinating about it was a lot of it was to do with um, NLP, understanding body language, and almost like the power of language when you say certain things, how it how people respond to it. In this case, if you speak to a woman, what is going on in her head sort of thing. Um, but like what Neil Strauss was talking about was certain people that he, he encountered along his journey in pickup. And many of them were skilled in different areas. And I think one of them, what is his name? Ross something. I can't remember. Ross something. And you know, these people who are good with other people, they have more skills to them, you know, like NLP and, I don't know, um, just knowing how to manipulate uh, situations and your mind and that sort of thing. I, I need to try and remember the guy's name. I can't remember. Ross, um, or is it Ross? <laughs> I can't remember. NLP is really powerful, isn't it? It's yeah. really, really, yeah. Just and and that kind of changing of mindset and things. It's really, really fascinating, I think. Um, I was gonna mm. ask you with your like, because you're so disciplined, even now when you talk about like your morning and your evening, and obviously with your training getting to where where you've got to, you have to have that discipline. But mm. <clears throat> when you look at discipline, often like kind of experts in the area will say well, you, you discipline will only last so long because obviously you've got willpower and it's an expendable resource across the day. So almost creating discipline, discipline should be there to create the habits so that you get to that point of automaticity. Is that how you approach it? Like, do you have things that are like, right, so I do this at this time and then eventually that discipline isn't needed to be there anymore because this is now the habit. That's the modality. Do you use structure in that way? I'm just curious. Yeah. how you've you know used that because it's a very powerful kind of amount of success that you've had mm, mm. um i think that's it really just um creating a time of day for certain things and it's like okay you have the slot for that particular time in the day nothing will deviate from the plan and yeah. and that's it really <laughs> and then just do that again and again and again um and you know is your training the same then do you train at a certain time as well is it is it kind of mapped out in terms of your day i would say between certain times i'll be like okay between these certain times like mid-morning early afternoon is when i can train and then anything else around that i'll just i'll map it out accordingly but certain things i'll do straight away in the morning so i've got a brain tap which i'll use like every morning to start off my day and then I'll have like a, a morning ritual list, which I go through. I have my positive affirmations, which I read myself. I got my goals, which I read out just to remind myself, <clears throat> you know, um, that no matter what goes on in the day, just remember these things here, you know, mm -hmm. also, I've also got my gratitude list. So it's like, you know, if for whatever reason, goals were to fall apart then just remember your gratitude and i would say mm. the gratitude is more the foundation to then bring the goals in all fairness um I and think your goals <clears throat> are they in every area so people do goals in different ways don't they so some people will split it out like with my own goals i have like 
physical goals. I have um, spiritual goals. I have financial goals. Do you, do you split them out into sections? Um, yeah, I do. So um, there's, there's loads of different physical goals. And um, even, even the biohacking section, that's, that's, a, that's a slightly different one. And I'm working on the spiritual one. Uh, but there's like steps for that in which I want to get to. And then there's the, um, the, the business and financial side of things. There's yeah, that, that, that is a whole complete different section in itself as well. Um, so, um, yeah, so I, I tend to read all of them out as, as a reminder. Out loud. Do you do it out loud? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, powerful that's out right. loud, isn't it? Sometimes I'll, I'll run my finger along the page to try and engage different, uh, you know, sensory modalities to get that kinesthetic movement going on. Mm. Um, just depending how I feel. Sometimes, you know, because it's routine, sometimes all right, all right, I need to get this done. And then sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm a bit more engaged. Um, I'll read it and I'll, times I'll even put on an accent. It really depends how I feel, you know. Um, but and yeah. with affirmations, because a lot of people don't understand this, do you, is that, those are ones that you've written yourself. And then do you then um, read them out with emotion, right? They've got to be charged, haven't they, for them yeah. to actually take effect. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so affirmations is, uh, it's just something to, to give you energy for the day. So when people are asking for, you know, what keeps you motivated, I think just having affirmations is a great form of emotion without uh, motivation, without directly thinking about motivation. It's like a, you're just encoding that positive message in yourself. So you don't need to try and be motivated from external sources or other people or trying to read some motivational material or watching YouTube videos. It's like you're, uh, yeah, you're just encoding from the beginning again foundation it's another form of foundation for the morning to get you started so i guess the, the hardest part right and particularly for women because i think we're naturally more critical in a way of ourselves with if we look at that like from a training perspective with you right it would be easy in your field to look at it and go well i'm just not happy and and zone in on one area of your body right because it's so important that it's, it's well-structured, it's balanced, you've got that beauty and that posture and everything to go with it. Do you, how do you stop yourself from doing that? Is that from the affirmations? Like, cause it's so easy, isn't it? To look in the mirror and go, I hate that about me. I just, I want to improve that one thing rather than looking at, look how many things are good about me. Mm -hmm. How have you done that? Cause I know you said that initially when we were chatting that when you were younger, you almost used the training as a form of enhancing self-confidence. Yeah. Um, when you were a very young kind of boy and growing into a man, how do you combat that? Right. Cause it's so easy to trip into that, isn't it? Is to actually be self-critical. Like we say things to ourselves that we would never dream of saying to someone else, right. Mm -hmm. In our own yeah. head. How do you, avoid that because you're saying a lot of it is as well when you go on the stage for example is connecting with yourself and realizing that that beauty and letting yourself shine that's it yeah always like i think that that is so important that um that just fortifying words for yourself so when it comes to critical stuff i always think to myself um i don't know if i've fallen off the wagon then i will just um reverse engineer the whole situation. Like what happened? 
because it hasn't always been that way. And whatever has happened, it's just down to myself as to why it's happened. So if I haven't, if I'm not training as frequently as I want to, then I'm like, okay, what can I do about it? If I've put on some body fat, which I have, then I'm like, what can I do about it? You know, I'm in, I'm in a position where I can do something about it. So for me, that's a positive. You know, I'm not crippled in a hospital where I have to rely on other people to feed me and I'm, I don't have an ability to exercise. I can do that. So what am I complaining about? There's, you know, I'd have to, and that's where the gratitude comes in. Like, and one of the things on my gratitude is that I have all limbs, you know, I have all limbs. And that to me, like, is a reminder, Mm. you know, the most basic stuff. I have a roof over my head. Mm. You know, I have food on a daily basis. So it's so difficult to fall lower than that. Like if I become lower than that, okay, I need to maybe create a new uh, gratitude list. But unless it's uh, beneath this, then what am I complaining about? Mm. I've got the basics that I need. I can breathe without a machine. I have all my limbs. Just go out there and do something about it. You know, I always remind myself, um, you know, I've been to India and I've seen people who live on far less and they are so happy. It's unbelievable. I remember <clears throat> I was in India doing a tour and I was sitting in this really nice uh, Porsche in the back seat, and I had a, um, a, a bodyguard with me and um, I heard a tap on the window and it was a child that was uh, just wearing rags for clothes, barefoot, face completely dirty and hands was out like, obviously it is an indication or a sign language to say, I need, could you give me some food or money, you know? And the gratitude level just went through the roof, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I'll always remember moments like this for me as well. You know, I lived my, you know, the beginning of my life, it was quite poverty stricken, you know? I lived with my dad and he wasn't always working. And there were times when we didn't have electricity in our house and we'd have to go weeks without electricity. And, you know, this is living in a developed country. We're not living in Africa or India. This is in UK. What do you mean you ain't got electric? Yeah, we were that broke. So, you know, I, um, I remember you know, with any pocket money that I might get, I'd, I would go to the charity shop to buy clothes. I would buy secondhand clothes. So when it comes to times when I might be feeling um, a bit unhappy about something, I don't let it get to the point where it's depressing because I'm like, I've seen far worse situations and I've been in a far worse situation to even qualify to complain right now. You know, so gratitude level is always super high and it would never allow to allow me to get down. Mm. That makes sense. I thought I find gratitude one of the most powerful things. It just, it shifts everything um, immediately in the moment. I don't think anything can, you know, I find like breath work can relax you um, and you can, and it can be stimulating as well. But there's nothing as magically transformational as gratitude. And I saw it firsthand as well in terms of the physiology 
that it changes when I wore um, the Freestyle Libra continuous blood glucose monitor. Right. And I put that on for a month. And I remember feeling really, really stressed. It was at the beginning, I think, when we'd just gone into to lockdown. There were so many things going or we were just pre-lockdown. And actually, no, we were in lockdown and I was trying to homeschool three children. And my daughter had a temperature, she wasn't sleeping in. All these things were going on. It just felt extremely chaotic, as it did for many people at that point. And I could see that it was impacting my blood glucose, nothing to do with what I was eating. It was the stress wow. response. And then I was like, right, I've got to, I've got to go back to, you, you start to, when, with that level of disruption, don't you? You forget some of the practices you do. And it's like, right, I've got to bring it back, got to bring it back. Gratitude is the, the fastest thing. And I did it with my children. I was, I was saying goodnight to them. And I was like, what are you grateful for? What am I grateful for? And when I re-scanned, my blood sugar was dropping. It was just extraordinary. That That's whole amazing. stress response had subsided. And all these natural things, it's insane. What's, what's mm. your thoughts on grounding? Do you do, you do grounding at all uh, on a regular basis? I, go, I don't do anything. Um, I'm looking actually at getting a grounding mat, but at the moment I just spend all my time pretty much barefoot and I'll Brilliant. go outside regularly. I, don't, I wouldn't say that I'm somebody that I've noticed is particularly EMF um, sensitive. I don't massive, maybe because I live a very like natural life. I'm outside a lot of the time, you know, I've got two dogs. Um, we always power down, like everything goes off at night. There is no Wi-Fi and mobile what, what phone. Time, what time is, does the power down start? And does that include mobile phones, digital devices and stuff? Yeah, everything. I turn it all off because, mm -hmm. um, so I, I usually read to my kids um, in bed. The older ones now will, will do it themselves. Um, and then... Yeah, myself, I'll read. I find that that's just, that makes a massive difference to me, um, to me getting good night's sleep as well. I used to read things that I was interested in that was somehow related to my work, so health. And I've tried to move away from that now. I actually find my heart rate variability is much better when I, when I read away from the stuff I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. That's so interesting. That fiction, yeah. I think because your mind's still on, isn't it? So mm. what about you? um yeah i do switch off wi-fi at night um and um i've got most things kind of wired in the house now so ethernet on the computer upstairs and my laptop even my mobile i've got the uh the connection uh for you know the iphone i don't know i don't know it's, it's like, oh, like the connected. defender shield well, not no. the, I do have a Defender Shield uh, hands-free, which I use uh, now. I've only had that for about a week. And um, they've also got this, uh, this, this fanny pack where you can put your, your phone in. Um, so I'll use that most of the time when I'm on the bike and listening to stuff mobile. Um, but yeah, when I'm in the house and I'm, let's say, sending text or using you know, social media, I'll have it plugged in, in the, in the ethernet. So I'm not using any, uh, you know, any Wi-Fi or anything like that. Um, but yeah, at nighttime, switch off Wi-Fi. Um, I've got a lot of, I've the, the lights in my living room that you can, you can change the setting. Like you can change the different lights, like the, change the color of the lights. So I'll switch on red in the evening. Mm um and sometimes like i don't know late afternoon if it gets switched on then i'll just put on the amber or something but normally red in the evening um 
yeah blue light blockers as well do you wear i wear always wear those in the evening that makes a big difference to deep it's sleep, incredible isn't it and with the kids as well if you put blue light blockers on them i find like it's that's a game changer such an easy one yeah yeah i do i do wear them frequent i've worn them a couple of times in the gym i wouldn't say i definitely know that there's a, a major difference but using the uh the red ones in the evening or around seven o'clock on then yeah sometimes i question if i eat a bit later am i affecting my digestion if i wear the blue light blockers <laughs> i was thinking hmm, maybe i should eat first before i put it on i don't know whether my head's trying to be too scientific with that because i'm thinking if if digestion and everything is going to slow down when the when when I'm wearing those glasses, what if I eat? What's going on? Am I going to get more acid reflux or something? Are mm. there going to be issues? I, you know. Will your enzymes be less? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen anything to say that that is the case. I suppose um, I just try to always eat like early enough before bed. I don't know about you, but that's a big, that massively impacts my sleep if I eat late. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Really, really, really disruptive, isn't it? And my my heart rate is way too high. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Mm. It's like if I I guess if I if I had a late night meal and then went to bed, it would be about ten beats higher until we get to about four o'clock in the morning. So true. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, um absolutely. I so before we close, I'm really curious. What's your um? What would you say is like the most the best book you've ever read or the most inspirational? I know you talked about like Brian Tracy in the early days and, but in terms of mindset or even down to like training, what's the kind of most inspirational? There's so many books I've, uh, I've been through. It's hard, isn't it? To find one. Yeah. Because they I can all never cover different one, things, right? Always, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. some of them are just like real eye-opening that you're like, wow, I never knew that. And then there's other ones which are like, oh, this is great. I can use this on a daily basis. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So, and it's another way of eye-opening. You know, you've got like real motivational okay. ones to keep you going on a regular basis, like Les Brown. You know, when you need a kick in the backside, listen to a bit of Les Brown or... Eric Thomas, uh, Tony Robbins, uh, you know, and it kind of gets you back on track. Like, yeah, you feel revved up. And then you've got some which is a bit more, um, I don't know, kind of guide you on a daily basis. Like, uh, you know, people like Jim Quick, which can help you to just kind of find your inner genius sort of thing. So he's come out with a book called Limitless, which I found really great, you know? Mm, I like his, I like Limitless. I've got that. Yeah. I think it's good. Yeah. Um, is it the best book? Probably not, but it's still a fantastic book, uh, uh, you know, and it's uh, easily digestible for a lot of people. I remember I got a book called The, the Untethered Soul, um, which was, wow, it was like, it just... It was just a, a, a different perspective in seeing things, like taking you out of your body and then just kind of looking at yourself and looking, looking at perspectives in different ways, like almost understanding. I've seen that and never read it. Never yeah, it's so oh, Put man, it on my reading list. Yeah. 
it's it's like understanding your conscious mind as if it's another person and like your um it's like it's weird i can't even express exactly how this book is but it really gets you thinking and understanding that when you get a certain feeling or potentially an emotional hijacking what's going on um just a different way to look at stuff i did find that pretty powerful and then there's lots of brian tracy books which are great for self-development and i think I've listened to many of his over the years, which has really helped me in tough situations. Um, and there's just lots of educational books, um, even The Bulletproof Diet, which was pretty amazing. Um, so many. Yeah. The same as me. I've got so many books. Do you know, really, have you come across, um, I wanted to make sure I got it right, have you come across Stephen Pressfield? No, let me know. They're really good books. Emily Fletcher, Stephen. Um, Stephen Pressfield. He does. Um, he wrote "Do the Work," um, kind of get out of your own way. Um, the War of Art, but he's so readable, so accessible. I think it was Ben Greenfield that first suggested it to me. A re really, really good author. Sorry, um, what, what was his book? What's it called? So he's written "The War of Art" and "Do the Work," which is all about uh, overcoming resistance and getting out of your own way. Really good author. Mm, mm, mm. And talk, yeah. Um, there's there's books like um, how to influence people, stuff like that. Yeah, I can't remember. Oh man, there's loads of books. I'd have there's to so look many my... books, isn't it? I love reading. Yeah, Literally. I'm more of an audio person. In all fairness, yeah, um, I do it through Audible because you can do it as you go. But quite often, I'll have a book on Audible, and then I'll either get it on Kindle or in a physical copy if it's quite detailed. For you know, when you just want to really actually go back and look at it. Yeah. So just for certain bits, I won't read the whole thing physically because I'll do it when I'm out for a run or I'm in the gym. That's when I love Audible or in the car. Um, I had to drive all the way to Leeds and back last week. So that made for some good listening. Um, so, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Amazing. Well, thank you, Roger. Yeah, thank you. It's been, it's been great. It's yeah, been it's great. Been fun. <laughs> I feel like we almost just touched the surface. I feel like we, I, I swear we could have spoken a lot more we could we'll have to do a, an, another one and talk Quite about too. talk more about we didn't dive into genes there did we and some of the things that came up for us both actually we That's need right. to do that yeah we'll definitely mm. do that maybe even a microbiome as well and, mm. uh, that would be very interesting or even like how they kind of synchronize with each other mm. epigenetics and all that great stuff yeah for sure mm all right yes yes thank you very much thank uh, you Angela. that was fun yeah we'll catch up soon <laughs> take all care right. would you? you take care see ya I hope you enjoyed that episode. I think Roger and I could have gone on for a couple more hours there, to be honest with you. And I'm sure that we will get back together for part two, as there were lots of things that we didn't cover. Um, I think we both wanted to talk about biological age and um, how you can actually basically make yourself younger um, and lots more things that we wanted to talk about. So I'm sure we will have a part two coming soon. I'd love to get your feedback on that episode. So as always, please email me with any feedback at Angela at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. And if you enjoyed that episode and more of the podcast, then I would absolutely love it if you could leave 
me a review. It really helps me to get my message out to a wider audience. So if you can go onto iTunes or whatever podcast platform provider that you're listening on and just take a couple of minutes and pay it forward by leaving a positive review, that would be absolutely amazing and hugely appreciated. And as always, thank you so much for listening and um, helping me to share my message with the world. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.